Hey guys, it's Rachel Silver Cohen from Unpolished Therapy. On today's episode, Dr. Boca and myself are sitting down with the one and only Rabbi Josh Brody. He is a visionary leader. He's got a warm and inclusive spirit. He has made an absolutely indelible impact on our community, but also on a national and global scale as well. His academic achievements are tenfold. We'd be here all day if I listed all of them now, so you'll have to check the episode notes for that. But his unwavering support for Israel is reflected in everything that he does, again, both here locally and on a global scale. It is no secret at all that he continues to uplift and support all of us here in the community. And we really, really hope that you find today's episode both meaningful, appreciative, and of course, somewhat unpolished. What do you get when the audacious and the therapist collide? A crash course in unpolished therapy. Rachel Silvercone and Dr. Boca aren't afraid to spin out of control, tackling all the tough talk. Their weekly sesh meets at the corner of audacity and advice, where their wheels and yours get turned upside down. Hey guys, happy Wednesday. It is Rachel Silver Cohen, so you know what that means. I am here with the one and only DB, Dr. Boca. We are ditching the couch, grabbing the mics, and we are breaking down all the unpolished wreckage on the corner of audacity and advice. Good morning, Dr. Boca. Good morning, Rach. How you doing? I am doing so great. I obviously, you know, we have a special, special guest today. So enough about me. Let's talk about him and let's get going. Rabbi Josh Brody, thank you so much for your time and attention and sharing your wisdom and how busy you are that you took the time to be here on Unpolished Therapy with us. Hello. Good morning. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to do this. I know our listeners can't see my face right now, but if you could see it, you'd see how excited I am. So thank you again. I got to just put this out there before we even start. I am starstruck. I have been in the same community, run similar circles, and cannot believe that you are on the podcast because you are literally the coolest rabbi ever, ever. So I hope that if no message comes across other than this one on the podcast today, it is literally the gratitude that I have for how cool you are and what you do for our community. So that's where I wanted to start. I appreciate that. I'll just say, maybe we should just end it there. Let's just, we're done. Right? I mean, how do you, where do we go from here? Well, I'll tell you, because I have such a big mouth and I don't ever <laughs> shut up. What I think of you, Rabbi, in the conversations that we've had and when I talk to others, and I said this to Dr. Roca too before you popped on, that Justin Timberlake brings sexy back, right? And Huey Lewis and the News says it's like hip to be square. When I have been in your company... I will tell you that there's something about you. It's your warm, engaging, kind self and the way that you just are able to command a room. But you have like made Judaism cool. We also say in in the world these days, I guess like the narrative is how it's cool to be kind. Or I always tell my kids like nerds rule the world. (laughs) And there's just something about your aura. And I think maybe that's why in town you are so coveted that you have this way about you that you just radiate the energy of how cool it is to be so passionate about what you do. Let's go back to the beginning. You were born and raised where? Born and raised in Cape Town, South Africa, very far away. 
And maybe I just want to say, I just want to just maybe get my mom on the line so she can hear what you just said. <laughs> the accolades. She raised she would, you well. She would love that. And uh, yeah, I grew up in South Africa. Not, I had no idea. Uh, anyway, no, yeah, not in any way connected to, uh, to anything meaningful with regard to Judaism. I did go to Jewish day school, day school light. Certainly yeah. wasn't planning or had no trajectory of becoming a rabbi. But it's just so fascinating right now because South Africa is back in the news with Israel. Yeah. They're now telling everyone how Israel should be acting. They're the ones instructing Israel right now and what, uh, saying Israel is an apartheid state. I grew up in apartheid. But it's yep. strange because you don't realize it when you're growing up. You don't think it's strange to have an all-white beach because that's the world you know and that's the only thing you know. And then you come out to the next chapter was written in New Jersey. But uh, uh, so that great. That's the accent. We love that because we're both Jersey girls. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> but it's a different accent. And I think because of the South African part of it that I never knew about because I'm like, he doesn't sound totally New York, totally New Jersey. There's something there, but it must be the uh, sprinkle of South African in that. Yeah. So it's actually fascinating because I was a fourth generation South African. My mom is American. My mom's a Jersey girl. My parents mm-hmm. met in the early 70s in a small city called Arad in Israel. And the plan was to stay in Israel. The plan was to live in Israel. We still didn't make it back yet. Soon, one day. Oh, there's a yet. We'll be there. Breaking breaking news, we'll see. <laughs> but uh, one day we will be back. And one of the things I know I've learned from my, you know, teeny weeny, itsy bitsy lessons in Judaism in comparison, but the word yet is something that I now correlate when I was in Israel and the trip that I was on, which incidentally, again, the irony is not lost on me. I know Rabbi Josh because his beautiful, amazing salt of the earth wife, Simone, is who facilitated the trip that I was on. And as phenomenal as Rabbi Brody is, I will tell you that Simone, the two of them are, I mean, if you looked up perfection in the dictionary, I know on Unpolished Therapy, we say there is no perfection, but when it comes to the Bronies, you know, I stand corrected because they are. But we did learn in Israel how yet is such a powerful word because mm-hmm. although it hasn't happened right now, if we remove a period at the end of the sentence and we use the word yet, it's unbelievably powerful. So you so, may, yeah, and I, may yet get there. Yeah, I'll just say that she is much better than me. I have the honor of being her husband and I just follow her wherever she goes. Uh, I love that. And as a person who did not go to Israel with her, but have gone to Israel, but just know her from the community, I think you both bring out the best in each other. And that energy that Rachel was talking about is it transcends everything when the two of you guys are in a room together. I will tell you, my first meeting in person with Rabbi was... Passover last year. And after we had gotten back from Israel, Simone, again, this is the elk of the type of people that they are, that when they say our house is open to all, they're not just saying it and hope that like no one listens and shows up. They really mean it. And I had the privilege of spending a Seder with them. And let me tell you something, Rabbi Brody, like when you hear like you commit to the bit, the man commits to the bit. I showed up, he was in full Pharaoh gear, okay, from head to toe. (laughs) 
He put on a Seder, the likes of which technically, like, I think the Seder is still going on. It was the longest Seder (laughs) I've ever been to. If I'm lucky enough to be invited back, I'm taking an Uber because like, they also do know how to knock it back with the drinks. (laughs) So please invite me back. But again, I'm going to air to Dr. Boca now. I know you want to jump in with some questions. Well, I have so many questions. All the listeners are invited. I just want you all to know, wherever wherever you are, come on over. Love to meet you. <laughs> careful what you wish for. I know. Be all, and you have no idea how many listeners there are. But that is the true. That is the true authenticity of the Brodies, and they mean it. So come on in if you want to come to Boca, and we'll actually do a recording beforehand if need be. But I really am fascinated. You know, having seen you in the community, I have a billion questions. But first, I'm just still so fascinated on the South Africa. So we grew up kind of light Jewish, quote unquote, or Jewish light, how did we A, get here and bypass Israel, by the way, and B, how did we become religious and a rabbi? Like, that's like so foreign to me. Yeah. So I'll tell you that I don't know how to explain it because I don't know that there is any explanation other than just saying things are meant to be. Mm -hmm. But I've had many opportunities. And I think all along the way, some things, even right now, I just got out of a meeting right before we started recording this where there's something which seems, it's just so far out, like no one would ever decide to do that. And I know after this interview, I have to call my wife and say, you're not going to believe, first of all, the interview was amazing. I'm saying that even though we haven't even begun yet. (laughs) Yet, put the word yet in. But I'm going to say this crazy thing just happened. And I'm lucky that she, nine times out of 10, she'll talk me down from the excitement and say, Okay, I see why you're excited, but here's a reason, or here's 500 reasons why it's probably not the best thing. But the one time that it is, and I just say, okay, we're just going in, we're going to do it. Doors open, I'm I'm stepping in. It always opens opportunities. So my maybe my parents are like that also. I mean, we had to get out of South Africa in 1985. Part was falling apart. The government was unclear what the Jewish community was going to look like. So my mom had a sister in, in Elizabeth, New Jersey, grew up in New Jersey. So she said, okay, great. Let's go to Elizabeth. My dad, South African, had a brother lived in San Diego. So he said, oh, great. We'll go to San Diego with all the other South Africans. But he went out, looked for a job, couldn't find anything, comes back to New Jersey. Of course, in New Jersey, right away, my uncle got him a job. Then he finds out the next day, San Diego's calling. Mm-hmm. And it was great. I would have been living in San Diego right now. And I 100% would never have become around. Mm-hmm. So ended up going to, to school, a Jewish day school, very religious school in Elizabeth. I was not prepared. I, I didn't have the skills to be in the school. And just to show you how, how things have changed. I was in fifth grade for English subjects and the Judaic subjects. They put me in second grade. Now, I don't know if you can't see. But I'm not so tall, but I couldn't <laughs> fit in a second graders. Share, but I don't even know if they do that anymore. But they put me in second grade. I was in fifth grade, mm-hmm. and it took a couple of years actually. I think I was always a year or two behind till I got to middle school or even high school, and had to kind of play catch up. But when I did that, I actually missed out on many of the basic skills. I kind of just faked it all the way through. And then when I graduated high school, I ended up going for a gap year to Israel, mm-hmm. and it was there that I really started. From the beginning, from fifth grade, learned how to do everything. There were many skills I just didn't have, and I just started picking it up there. Went to Israel for a year to have a great time. Why not? And then probably come back and 
going to business or become a lawyer. That was the plan. But that didn't happen. And now I'm speaking to you and I'm a rabbi. <laughs> That's crazy. The whole thing make, none of it makes any sense. None Although, of- it, with the exception of the fact that we also learned through our Judaism that it makes perfect, perfect sense. sense. And it mm-hmm. seems as though, again, all roads lead back to this magical place of Israel that is so life-changing and the transformation of so many people happens there. So again, if we go back that you essentially grew up in a secular jewish e type of family, and now fast forward, this has become your mission, your purpose, your passion, and it does radiate in all that you do. And I wonder if you, Rabbi, are cognizant of that, living in an area where so many of us, and I don't want to just limit it to women, even though Dr. Book and I on the podcast, somehow our focus maybe is a little bit more female oriented, but I know there are so many men out there. Once they hit the 40s, 50s, whatnot, we we all kind of struggle with this like what is our purpose and and what are we doing? And why do I wake up in the morning? And is this all there is? And I wonder when you wake up, if you realize how valuable it is to have something that you really stick your teeth into with such commitment and how beautiful it is to watch from afar and how that touches the lives of everyone in your world. Yeah. So first of all, I thought it was only men that had that problem. (laughs) The jig is in their 40s and 50s. It's a different struggle. Men have a different struggle, I believe. But I do think that we have the answer. And we've always had the answer. And many of us, we search for answers in places everywhere, all over the world, and in different books, and in different ways to study and understand. And yet we've got it, and we've always had it. And it's called Judaism. It's called the Torah. And when you get an opportunity to study with people, and this is what really turned me on. This happened when I was in Israel the first time. I was 18 years old. I wasn't interested in anything really besides, at that point, guns and roses and girls. <laughs> Nothing has Great changed. Combo. It's still the same. It's still the same guns and roses. And I still have the same girl. Mm-hmm. Mona and I met each other when we were in seventh grade. Oh, wow. Summer after sixth grade and never dated anyone else. Wow. That's it. All the way through, she dated two guys. But, uh, I never did. And I think that having an opportunity to study with someone that just kind of slows it down and talks to you on your terms about the incredible jewel that we have called our tradition, called Judaism, called the Torah, whatever you want to call it. You see, we've got the greatest gift that was ever given to the world, but we don't know how to package it and present it Mm -hmm. to people in the way that it deserves. We do it the same way it's always been done in many ways, and that doesn't work. But we're not creative enough to figure out new ways to engage. So what we're trying to do is find the most successful people that are doing it, copy them where possible, innovate a little bit, try to come up with things that we think people are interested in studying or or engaging with. My wife's got a great program. I think almost 100 women are going to be making mezuzahs because we're struggling right now with anti-Semitism. So we've got to double down on our Judaism. We've got to not hide. We've got to put up that mezuzah right outside our doors. What better way to bring a group of women, make a handmade mezuzah. The thing sold out in in one week. They sold out the whole program. So 
you know, new ideas, fun ideas. I would argue that instead of you or in Simone and you copying from others who potentially are doing it better or doing it different, as Dr. Boca always uses the catchphrase, do it different. I would argue that the two of you are really the trailblazers Mm -hmm. here in town and people follow along your yellow brick road. Again, if your mom's listening, I'm not just trying to blow (laughs) sunshine up anyone's asses here. Are we allowed to say the word ass? I hope so. But you guys just have this way about you. And and I wonder what the two of you do differently when we are living at a time where there is such discord. And it seems as though everybody wants to do better. Everybody wants to jump on your bandwagon. But when you say that, like, we just don't know how, how do we package it? And then how do you put it out to the masses? Yeah. Okay. So we've got an endless amount of material and we have some, we have enough to engage any Jew in this community for the rest of their life. We don't have to worry about running out of programs, running out of material. There's there's an overwhelming amount of things that we could possibly do with everyone. The challenge that most have is that we're taught as, I think, as many Jewish leaders, it it could be, I think it was Steve Jobs that once said that you get, you know, it's not about listening to the the consumer as much as it is telling the consumer what they need. Mm -hmm. Here, it's exactly the opposite. I think that's what's been happening for so long is that, oh, let us tell you what will will Mm -hmm. help you. Because we're the experts and I'm the, the great example of what you should become. And the answer is no. Everyone is such an individual. Everyone is so different from one another. But take the time to listen to people. What are they looking for? And even though there's a great event, as I said tonight, that's not for everyone. Some people are not interested in that. For whatever reason, they're interested in something else. And I think that there's no one person, there's certainly no one couple, and there's no one synagogue that can cater to everyone. But what we need to do, and this is, I think, the next level of Jewish engagement where we're going to start seeing locally, and we're going to start seeing it around in other communities, is that we've got to figure out ways how to partner the people with the great things that are taking place. Yeah. Unfortunately, you don't know till it's too late. You only mm-hmm. find out about the event. Oh, my friend went and she told me about how come I didn't know. But how on earth? There's, there's no platform that exists right now to connect you with something that you want to do within a Jewish community. But we do have an idea. I can't share it right now, but we do have something. And it's, it's going to be out. an app of some sort or something like that that's going to blow it right out here. of the water. Right here. It's right here. I can't show you uh, yet. I can't see I it. My, my mouth. <laughs> you mean we yeah. can't say, like, you heard it first on Right. No breaking news. Say that. Yeah. I mean... oh, can, that's the best thing, also. We, we don't want to hide and we don't want to. There's no secrets. We've well, got the greatest thing. Israel's stronger than ever. Judaism is stronger than it's ever been. But there's still so many disconnected Jews that haven't found their connection. And that's on us. That's on us. That's on the Jewish community's leadership to figure out how to help them. That's it. Yeah. And what you're saying rings so true because, you know, I was in a meeting last night and they were trying to reinvent their fundraiser. And they were trying to span from teen all the way to 90s with donors and what have you. And everybody's kind of throwing stuff out. And I'm like, have we asked the people that would be the target audience what it is that they would actually enjoy doing, right? right? And people were like, oh. And I think that's part of it. Like you said, Rabbi, we can't be everything to everyone all the time. But there, I think there's one other piece. And at least this was true for me, and I can only speak for me, is I've always been interested, always wanted to know more. But just like what I imagine it must have felt for you when you started in Elizabeth 
and were thrown into something and it just felt ginormous, right? It just felt like you were always behind the eight ball trying to learn, trying to get it. That I think some people don't understand that you can be fulfilled by a tiny little bit. You can get some of that spiritual or emotional or uh, growth in you and connection. And it doesn't require having to move to Israel and study Torah for the next, you know, 40 years and sit there like we see in the movies. We can take little tiny pieces of it. And that is so impactful. And I think that that gets lost in the messaging as well. The, The problem is many of us think it's all or nothing. Right. And we think it's like this. And the memories we have are of, of the rabbi, you know, putting us to sleep. I had a different experience. I remember when I was preparing for my bar mitzvah. Remember, I didn't have the background. I could barely understand what anything was going on. And because I was the oldest one in my class, I experienced a lot of the things first, like mm. the bar mitzvah. I didn't have anyone to explain to me what that meant. But I remember I was sitting with my bar mitzvah teacher, who's an older rabbi. I didn't have any relationship with him. And in the middle of every bar mitzvah lesson, he would fall asleep. Now, I didn't know. I'm a, I'm a 12-year-old kid. I didn't understand. What's going on here? What? Why is he sleeping? Is that part of the experience? My parents, they didn't know. I couldn't go home and explain it to them. I didn't know what was going on. But I think the most important part of growing and connecting with your Judaism happens through relationships. Mm-hmm. And that's what I found. That's what happened to me when I was 18 years old. That's what happens to me with everyone I meet in this community. It's not about me telling you. It's about me becoming your friend. Mm-hmm. And that's what I love. I love it. I love that too. And, and yeah. that is the relatable piece that I hope transcends to the listeners. And then, of course, to be lucky enough when people are in your presence, Rabbi, that was the piece for me that kind of flipped the switch. When I was a kid growing up, anything that had to do with my Judaism, it was it was in the category of like rules and regulation. Mm-hmm. It wasn't because there was this overwhelming joy and enthusiasm and excitement and this, this yearning for me to learn. It was another notch on the responsibilities of the things I had to do. And there was no connection whatsoever. As a matter of fact, when I was studying for my bat mitzvah, I struggled terribly. I could not connect the dots, you know, forget the tropes, no pun intended, (laughs) with the dots and whatnot. But I just, I couldn't get it. And I needed the extra attention. And I really could not stand the rabbi at my synagogue and he embarrassed me at my bat mitzvah. And it was, mm-hmm. that was a whole to do, which we'll share that story another day. But bringing it full circle to now, the difference is that that disconnect then and mm-hmm. the connection now as an adult to learn and to grow because it brings so much joy and it's helped fulfill me and fill in some of the pieces that weren't there. That's what I'm so attracted to. If if I've said it once, I've said it a million times on the podcast, the movie, The Curious Case of Benjamin Button, where, you know, if only we could do everything backwards because Mm -hmm. everything is wasted on our youth and, and the young. And I'm seeing now that there is no time like the present. And it doesn't matter how old you are to get started with whatever nuggets you want to take away from Judaism. And and Rabbi, you and Simone, of course, have have helped me tremendously in that arena. Yeah. And you know, it's something that's fascinating also. We, we've got to put a lot of this in context because even when I was in elementary school and middle school and high school, I had rabbis who were Holocaust survivors. So the reason they were working in my schools because the head of the community, the head of the 
the head of school, had to hire them because who else was going to hire them? Mm-hmm. And these people were very well educated. They were some of the brightest people that left Europe, but they didn't have any degrees in education. Many of them didn't know how to handle kids, certainly an American kid that all they wanted to do, we want to listen to the radio, we wanted to watch sports. So obviously the blame is not all on them because knowing what had had I walked out of the Holocaust, I don't know if I'd be able to function in normal the normal society. And I don't think in many ways they did either. But that's what we had. Those were our communities. Today, we've got some of the greatest Jewish community leaders that are graduating from schools. They're doing it not because this is the only opportunity. They have many opportunities in front of them. And they could go into many different professions, but they're choosing this. And mm-hmm. I think that's important. And, and even the rules, you know, what I learned, you know, Judaism, we talk about the 613 commandments, 613 obligations or mitzvot. And it seems overwhelming at times. Well, yeah, I got to do this. I got to do that. So again, like I said before, it's not all or nothing. Mm-hmm. It never has been all or nothing. Maybe I'm not doing this yet. Like you said, it's not yet. I'm not up to that. That's not where I am. But I'm always striving or looking for something because I know there's a lot that's going to only benefit me, benefit my family. But even the rules and obligations that can be framed in such a way where they are exciting. What do you mean I can't do that? It's not why I can't do that. It's look what that enables me to do now. Mm-hmm. Look where I am because of that rule, which some could look at you know, Shabbat. Oh, I can't drive. Oh, Shabbat. I can't go to. Yeah. But you know what? I get to hang out all weekend with my family. No distractions. Oh, I can't use my phone. Yeah. Guess what? Which family in America right now wouldn't pay a million dollars for everyone to say no phones at dinner. Right. Right. Sunday night. I can't do that. Kids aren't going to listen to me. Tuesday night. They're not going to listen. Can everyone just put it away? Can I put it away? And here it doesn't even come up. So it's, you can't. Oh, what do you mean? Or is it, look how lucky I am. Look how lucky we are. Rabbi, it's such a nice reframe and you make it so relatable to the people that you're talking to to inspire them. Was this intentional? Was this something that you were sitting at, you know, 20, 21 years old as you're starting to do this and saying, okay, this is my job now to make it relatable and reframe all of this? Or was it just something that, you know, you saw the the schism after a while where you just weren't getting the return on the investment and therefore you're like, okay, now we have to do it different. How did that all evolve? Yes, that's a great question. It definitely evolved. There was never a plan. Every plan I've ever had never worked out the way that (laughs) I hoped it would, but it always worked out a lot better. And I like the plan. And there's a lot of things about my personality, which might seem odd, but you know, if you study people's personalities, sometimes it actually makes sense. I'm an introvert. I would much rather be alone at home doing my (laughs) own thing which might seem strange. I learned how to do this from Simone, who is the greatest extrovert I know. (laughs) She's the social person. By nature, I'm not social. Again, given the two options, I would prefer to be alone, which sounds strange to anyone. It does. I'm going to jump in real quick and say that knowing both of you, I would have thought the opposite. I would have thought you were the extrovert and Simone was the introvert. Interesting. It's so strange. She can't stand being alone. She loves being with people, but she doesn't want to be the center of the attention. She, mm-hmm. she doesn't like speaking. She doesn't nope. like, but she doesn't want to be alone either. She wants, wants mm-hmm. to be with everyone. So again, I can't, you know, speak to the great psychologists and psychiatrists. They can explain why this is like this, but this is just the reality. And it was never the plan. None of this was ever a plan. My wife and I were living in Baltimore. We're both at Johns Hopkins. I was finishing rabbinical school. And then we got an opportunity to come and be the youth directors. We were still in our early 20s. We had just had our uh, second daughter. And there was an opportunity that it came up in Boca. We didn't know what Boca was. And we came for two years. We said, we'll stay for two years and we'll go back to 
Baltimore. Just even that, just as an example, I just had signed a contract with Baltimore County Public Schools. I couldn't get a job in Baltimore as a rabbi, a young rabbi, because everyone was a rabbi in Baltimore. Mm-hmm. So there was no way to get a job. So I was like, okay, what do I do? I have a degree right now, a master's in special education. I'll go work in the local public school. But had I done that, probably would have stayed in Baltimore. I would have been a great high school, public school teacher. <laughs> you and I wouldn't be speaking right now. But we just took that opportunity and two years turned into 24 years. And every year, I kind of learned a lot. And I will say that the March of the Living, going almost 15 times, had a massive impact on the interaction I have with the greater Jewish community, mm-hmm. getting a chance to work at the Jewish Federation. An amazing opportunity, which I never, ever anticipated happening. Very few in fact, I don't know many. I don't think there are even five in America out of the hundreds of federations that have an Orthodox rabbi working in a Jewish federation. It, ha- it happened. It's great. Um, it's been the biggest blessing. And But each of these things, each of these opportunities enabled me to, to learn, to see what people are, are doing and, and what's working and to be honest and say, that's not working. That doesn't work. Why are we doing it? So I think sometimes it makes some of the people I work with a little crazy because they're like, but you always do it like that. I'm like, okay, mm-hmm. but I'm not doing it. So it does make people a little crazy, but it works, you know, and some things don't work. We try other things and many things don't work. When we get a home run, we're going to run with it. What I love is certainly, you know, Baltimore's loss has become Boca's gain tenfold. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, and all the trips to Israel that you've helped facilitate and all of the endeavors that you do here and our local community and elsewhere, because it's now, you know, we're broadening those horizons. I want to go back to something, you know, you said 24 years later with your beautiful bride at the time, you know, two years in, you had two daughters. And now here we are, if I've counted correctly on my menorah, <laughs> you have a, a Hanukkah of children, right? I mean, I can't even imagine what Hanukkah was growing up in your house with eight kids. And now I know you're a grandparent, but the thing that I I love about you that you are just so relatable. You know, mm-hmm. Dr. Boca said initially, like she's she's starstruck and the, the fanfare here that, oh my God, Rabbi Brody is on the podcast. But at the end of the day, you have the same blood going through your veins and you're still a husband and a father and a human. Mm-hmm. And I wonder how, if, if you can shed some wisdom and light to the audience on eight kids. I mean, I can barely handle two. Okay. How does you know, the Judaism come into practice when maybe you're pulling your hair out a little bit Mm -hmm. over the years of raising an an entire, you know, forget basketball team or soccer team. You've got a whole football team. Yeah, we've got a football team. And what's even more exciting, again, just for the people that don't know. So we have six children, two son-in-laws and a grandson. We're so blessed. But those two son-in-laws are like my sons and I love them. Mm -hmm. I love them. I'm so happy to have them. And uh, they are... It's just, we're, we're so blessed. We're so blessed to have these guys. The funny thing is that Simone will say, you know, if we, if we throw that number of eight out there, she'll be the one who says she has nine. So she's got to manage me. And I think <laughs> the reason why they all turned out so good has nothing to do with me. It's only because of Simone. And uh, I'm out a lot. I travel a lot, which has not been easy. And I've always tried to balance in some some meaningful way. The, the the relationships I have with each of our kids, but it's not easy. It's never it's never easy. And even when you hope and you plan that things are going to get a little little easier and things might get a little calmer, it never has. It never has. And and I think that we're lucky that you know we've got very resilient kids. Each one's a little unique and a little little different than than one another. But but um, maybe uh, the Almighty gives you what you can handle, but also what they can handle. Maybe that's part of the blessing here. Is that they're also very independent and they, they, they're they very strong, strong personalities, each of them. 
Um, I think our youngest kind of raised himself in many ways. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, we, I remember the story. He was an infant and he didn't want to wait for us to give him dinner. I just remember him climbing up the refrigerator, like <laughs> taking some food. <laughs> but that's but great. You know, we give them their space. You know, I think it's helped in many ways. So, so I, you know, Rach, when you were asking the question, of course, I want to know about the, you know, all the kids because I'm always so amazed by it. But the unpolished part of me has was thought you were going to go where your unpolished mind usually goes. So I'm going to ask the question. Okay. Our listeners can't see what Rabbi Brody looks like, but Rabbi Brody looks like he's 20 years old. Okay. So how do you have all of these children and are you only 20 years old and move? at the pace that you are notorious for moving at, right? So either I need to know the skincare regimen or I need to know the the inner workings of the secrets that you have because I people come up to me all the time and they're like, who is that young guy over there? Who's that kid who's talking? And I'm like, <laughs> kid, I, I'm like, you don't even understand the, the knowledge that this individual and the passion and the aura around it. And yet people think that is, that is God's messenger. <laughs> That's <laughs> exactly. our local messenger here, the sages, right? Right. So I'm going to ask like, what's the secret here? Because other than having your kids raise yourself that I didn't get that memo and I yeah. too could have saved a lot of gray hair. <laughs> You know, thanks again, for not sharing everything here. Yeah. Again, Simone is very involved. Very involved. Yes, she, but she, she looks like she's 19. Yeah, yeah. So she, yeah, she does. She does. I've she got does. Great, can't see them on the wall, but they're great photos of us from high school. I love these photos. And uh, I'm looking a, at it right here. You still yeah. look like you're in high school. <laughs> and I need so We're loving it. Secret. Listen, I'm going to be 50 this year. This is the big year. Wow. I don't know if I'm going to invite all the listeners to the big uh, <laughs> surprise party. That I don't, probably just being me, <laughs> just go by myself somewhere. That's your preference, know, anyway. You know, reading the Torah every day and studying yeah. with such passion that you do and consistency. Maybe that's the secret. I read something just recently, having nothing to do with Judaism, but I think it does fit in quite well. Someone was asked, you know, what is the secret to success? Success is defined any, whether it's, you know, your business practice, your relationships, your parenting, whatever the case may be. And maybe this is going to sound so cliche and Dr. Brooke is going to say, Rachel, I've been trying to tell you this forever now, but the secret to success is just that it doesn't have to be so perfect. That success, it comes in all different shapes and sizes. And to me, when I think of you, Rabbi, there's always that expression, if you want something done, give it to someone who's really busy. You are literally the busiest man in show business as far as I'm concerned. And yet, and here's that word yet again, you still reply to texts right away. You email back, you answer phone calls, you show up, you put up, you put your money where your mouth is. And that accountability and being able to be a pillar in the community that is reliable, my guess, I mean, maybe that's the secret here. And that's why your skin is glowing and you look so young because when you put your head down at night, God knows you have put in an honest day's work with your whole heart. And there's got to be some type of benefit, even if, again, look, we live in Boca. Vanity matters. (laughs) So maybe that's part of the payback, right? That you look so gorgeous. That's funny. That's funny. And, you know, it's it's definitely busy days. It's very busy. And I guess I do enjoy being busy. I don't do well on vacations, you know, where we go away for a week or so. Let's say the kids have some time off. I'm good at 
first two or three days after that, it just gets a little, I get anxious. I get very anxious. I just feel like I got other stuff to do. I'd rather take mini vacations with the kids here and there and try find some time, steal time here and there just to be with them. But there's a lot of things I don't do. There's a lot of things I'm just not, I don't enjoy. I don't, I'm not good at, I don't like reading. I'm not a good reader. Never mastered reading. So even when well, it what about, to- why don't you, why don't you tell Dr. Boca and the audience about your you, the passion outside of just Judaism? I know that you play the drums. Yes. I know music is a big passion of yours, the guitar. Passion. Yeah. If I wasn't a rabbi right now, I would be in a band. I'm convinced. And I would love I to love still be that. in a band. And I hope to be in a band. My dream is one day to make Aliyah live in Israel, still work, but also put together a 80s hair band and I'll be the drummer. And all we're going to audition people to find the greatest musicians, so I can just and this no money. I don't. I'll pay, I'll pay to play in these clubs. Wait. So, are you going to get a wig? Like, how does that work? Yeah, I'm a wig. Oh, I'm okay, because like, yeah. you have to like fit in with the whole crew. Yeah, exactly. That's all. Yeah, if you can't see me, I have no hair right now. But that's my point. I took right. a nice haircut. I just shaved it off. <laughs> pretty much all. Move so, over Axel Rose, Rabbi Josh exactly. Brody. But I love that. Have you have you ever played in a band? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, in high school, we had a few bands. And here in Florida, here and there, play with a few guys. But never made it a priority. I, okay. I don't know when. It feels like a massive thing that I want to do. I can't Yes. And, and I'm just thinking, oh, my gosh. Like, if you did that and you got a band together... Like you would have, what do they, like the posse, what do they call the people that follow the band? Groupies. Groupies. That's the word I couldn't come up with. I mean, if you want to talk about engagement um, and engaging a community, who better than like, uh, like uh, the coolest rabbi who has a a band that to me is phenomenal. Like you got to get on that one. We're going to mark it in some way, shape or form. I would love it. I would love it. And it's going to happen. It is going to happen because I do love music. There's not a, a moment that goes by. I've tried, you know, listening to audio books because I don't like reading, but I just end up pushing the music on. And I've actually started selling with music, which I love right now. And I, I just found this. I didn't know you could do this on Apple. So always make mixtapes. Back in the day, remember oh, we had our yeah. mixtapes. That's so much time. Making it. I have the greatest playlists right now that anyone has ever put together. This is going to be my new, my new project. And I think you can find them if you on Apple or something. But every year, I got the top 10 of 1986, 87, 82. Wow. And I'm just telling you, because I love music. I really, really love it. And to make it onto my list, onto my playlist, a band's got to be really good. <laughs> <laughs> to me, this that sounds, I mean, you, you want to talk about like unpolished and keeping up with the times and kind of changing the narrative on how cool it is to be who you are and love what you do and find purpose and passion. And to me, you know, one of the things also that makes you so special and unique is, is you, your beautiful gift of storytelling and how you can deliver a message. And rarely do we meet rabbis who don't know how to drive in that joke and the punchline and all of that. And and I can just vision now you on the drums with a, with a microphone, you know, on, on like a stand and in between oh, yeah. each set, you're delivering, you know, something from the Parsha or, and, and like <laughs> making it cool, right? Yes. Like delivering these messages through music, but tying um, in Judaism. I mean, let's talk about that. Like, this is how we are coming up with these cool new ideas where it's not back in the old days of like, oh, I got to go to temple or, oh, I have Hebrew school. This is the wave of the future. And I'll tell you, Rabbi, you are it. So I'm all for it. I mean, I have a whole list of ideas of how we could 
create such a phenomenal connection with this part of, I mean, this is brilliant. This is, and I know that you're going to know who this person is because of Momentum, which is, you know, our listeners have heard us speak about Momentum. Rachel shared her experiences. I was blessed enough to have that opportunity as well. But, and I'm going to mess up his name, but Rob, Gov, something like that. That's what we called him, right? I, I always mess up his name, but he left such an impression on us because, again, he was so cool and presented it in a fun, lighthearted, but impactful and meaningful way. And that has Rabbi Brody written all over it with music and little social media whatever those things are called, reels or something. But look, we can talk offline about all the wonderful things that we're going to bring into the community. I have more questions. So having been in Boca now for as long as you have, what have you found trying to accomplish making, let's call it making Judaism meaningful, for lack of a better word? What have you found to be the biggest hurdles? Right. So first of all, just getting back to what you said before, everyone's got unique talents. And I think it's so important to recognize that we all need to see what we can bring to the table because everyone's got something. You guys are amazing. Each have your careers and each have something. But you, you say we can help people through a podcast. And that's incredible. A lot of people would say, oh, but I don't know how to do a podcast. I can't figure it out. I would like to do it. But there's always going to be an excuse. And the key is just put aside the excuses because your community, and I'm going to say right now, your Jewish community needs you more than ever. Israel needs you more than ever. And there's always something else we can be doing. In terms of our community, we have a very unique community. We have one of the youngest Jewish communities of this scale. And I don't mean young in terms of age. I don't know what the, the average age in, our, in South Palm Beach is now. Maybe it is lower than it used to be. It's probably in its 50s, or early 60s, maybe, maybe 40s. Who knows? But it's a community which is only 40 or 50 years old in terms of its Jewish growth and its Mm -hmm. Jewish population. You went from a few hundred Jews to a few thousand to now, who knows? It could be close to 200,000, 175,000 Jews. It's one of the most densely populated Jewish communities in the United States. And one of the most important things to understand is that because we're not under the New York umbrella, the tri-state area, so we're still out of town. So we can experiment and we can try things that other communities might be afraid to try because they're under that watchful eye. But if we're successful, you can't accuse us of being a small out-of-town community because we're so big. Mm-hmm. So it's given us an opportunity to, to, to kind of play with ideas and, and see what will work. One of the great things that I'm going to say, I'm going to use the word happened. It didn't just happen. There was a lot uh, that went into it. Not sure where to begin with it, but we started talking as community leaders very early on because it's an out-of-town style community. It's not in the Northeast. So many of the rabbis came here 20, 25 years ago. We're, we're all very young. We all came in our early to mid-20s. And the mm-hmm. funny thing is that we all kind of stayed. So over the years, whether it was through Federation, trips to Israel, March of the Living, Federation trips to Israel, we all started to get to know each other. And in other communities where reform rabbis don't talk to the Orthodox and the Chabad mm-hmm. won't talk to this one and conservative rabbi, and everyone's kind of in their own lane, we actually started becoming friends with each other here, not because we planned it, it kind of just happened. And then we said, well, well, for friends, so, so what can we do? Like, how do we kind of move, move it forward, whatever it is, and try to figure out ways we can partner together. And that changed everything. 
right now, right now we're working on a program, Partners in Jewish Life, about to launch it throughout our community. We've tried it, tested it, revamped it, edited the content. We wanted to be perfect. It's launching in our community in mid-March, but we're also launching it right now. It's not even done yet. It's going to be more than 30 communities across the United States and Canada, which is a massive thing. But that's our community. That's our community saying, we figured out something exciting and we don't want to keep it to ourselves. We want to help you understand that you can do the same thing. So that's what we do. So who do we just call all of our connections, all of connections in other places? Here, we've got this great idea. Yin, 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 you want to give it a shot? Great. Let us show you how to do it. One of the things I found as a common thread with leaders like yourself in the community, and I would hope elsewhere, but it's saying yes, mm-hmm. right? And then kind of figuring it out after if you know that that yes is rooted from the right intention. And if it's something that has to do with sharing the Judaism with others and connecting all the details kind of like that's just semantics. And that's what I found with leaders like yourself, whereas some of us who are a little bit more green or we were afraid because we don't know how to do something. So maybe our innate response would be like, oh God, I, I don't want to do that. Being a leader is, is saying yes and figuring it out and getting a group of people together who help. And that I think is so beautiful with what you've done here locally. And now obviously, you know, outside of the realm of our community. Hopefully, hopefully we'll just continue to grow. I mean, I, I have to 100% say yes, but there's also another piece of it. And this is what makes you so successful here, I believe, is that you don't have an ego in it, right? Historically in this community, you know, I've been in this community for, I mean, dare I even say, it's been like almost 40 years. Historically, everybody has tried to keep the stuff to themselves. So in the past 20 years, as you've said, has been this evolution. And I think that that's a life lesson to our listeners even. It doesn't help us to have ego in something and hoard these ideas. The more we share, the more we put out, the more we invite, the more engaged people become, and the more we grow on that and perpetuate the momentum. And I wanted to recognize that because I think sometimes people put, as we all do, the authorities and the rabbis and the important doctors and those people on these pedestals and facilitate that ego like I did to you even because um, I was starstruck. But what makes you you and can really be a model for other people is how humble you are, how inclusive you are, and how inviting you are with your knowledge and ideas. And so I think that should be acknowledged and commended. I'll tell you, I appreciate that. And I'll say a lot of the credit I'll give this time to to Matt and Marla at the Federation here as well, because when they picked up our outreach program and basically said, we want you to bring it throughout the community, they hired me to work for the community. Mm-hmm. So I might get a salary from the Jewish Federation, but I work for every synagogue, I mm-hmm. work for every day school. I work for, in the same way I work for the Jewish Federation. If any place will let me in, I'm just as connected and motivated by what you're doing as the next place. So who do you work for? Who pays me, want to know? I'll tell you. But who do I work for? I work for everybody. You work for the and people. I, yeah. I work for the people. I'm a man of the people. You're the man of the people. Isn't that one of, like, at least in, in my opinion, that that's Judaism. That's really practicing. Judaism and all of the lessons in the Torah. And, and I think it's it's remarkable. Something I want to touch on before we wrap up, you were talking about um, 
the different passion projects and the other things that you love other than just the Jewish aspect of things. And, and one of the things that I got a kick out of when we were talking about, you know, you're saying we do our podcast. Um, it shouldn't come as a shock to the listeners that that is yet another thing that Rabbi Brody does. Yep. He hosts his very own podcast called Behind the Bema, which, you know, I am a wordsmith and I love my words and the alliteration and so on and so forth. So I have to just tell you that Behind the Bema is something I get a real kick out of. Can you tell our listeners a little bit about the podcast and, and where yeah. that was birthed from? Absolutely. It's actually funny. This is actually my third podcast. I started a podcast before anyone was using the word podcast. And if <laughs> any of the listeners want to go online, I think I was doing a radio show. Okay. Did a radio show. It was 10 years ago. No one was doing radio shows back then. I had this idea. I found this platform online. It was very unsophisticated. It's nothing compared to what it is today. But I, I believe all the shows are still, you can still find them on Apple Podcasts or Apple Music and, and all the Spotify's or whatever they call them. It's called Jewish Pride Radio. And I think I did, I don't know if I did 100 or 200 episodes. Wow. Now, I don't know if you ever heard that. <laughs> if you look at the analytics, you know, they're still living out there. So they still get listens. If people search for Jewish, I guess it might come up. But it's so funny. I've always wanted to do this. You say, well, where did that come from? And that was my, then we did a radio show in, on a real radio channel, radio, like real radio up in Palm Beach. It was broadcast for about a year. And then we started this one during COVID. It actually started almost immediately after COVID, where Rabbi Goldberg, Rabbi Moskowitz, two of the other rabbis at Pokerton Synagogue, we all basically said, well, what can we do to kind of connect with our, comes back to the same thing, connect. How mm -hmm. do we connect with our members when we couldn't physically connect, when they shut us down? All community was shut down. So I said, why don't we do a, do something on online where it's not going to be another class. Everyone's got their classes and we got plenty of classes during COVID every day. There was another class you could tune into, whether it was your synagogue or another local synagogue or anywhere. But we said, why don't we just kind of like, you know, do something where, where we'll just talk to each other. There was nothing. It was kind of like maybe Seinfeld. That was mm -hmm. what it was going to look like. It was originally called coffee talk. I that sounded maybe a little feminine. I don't know. It didn't sound right. We're rabbis. We're on the beamers. Well, it's like someone, I think it came maybe originally thought was behind the music. I love music. I don't know who put out that first thing. We always play off each other. We'll, we'll just throw things at, at, and the next thing we knew, we had behind the Bima. But that's one thing from their perspective. That's They do it. They have their thing. We do it together called Behind the Bima, interview special guests, and there's been some significant guests that they've had over the years. But for me, there's a much different angle on this. It doesn't come out on the show because it's a Boca Raton Synagogue production. It's not me. It's not my personality as much as I would like it to be, perhaps. I try my best to kind of put it out there, but I have to be careful what I say because it is a synagogue experience. So, But for me, it all started growing up listening to Howard Stern. I love Howard Stern. <laughs> I haven't listened recently just because I'm just busy. You got to really be able to dedicate four hours a day. I mean, he's not on every day anymore, but uh, a picture of me and Howard on I'm like this. Love it. Love it. Our <laughs> listeners love, can't see it, but we just yeah. got to see a picture of Rabbi Brody with Howard Stern. Howard Stern in his studio. In wow. His, it's very hard to get into that studio. But the the idea is I there's a few people that I that I really admired growing up. That was one of my questions. Yeah. Well, I'll, I'll tell you. It's funny. It's the people that I liked growing up, they're all still around today, which I think is also interesting. Like they all had staying power. There are many people that were big in the 80s. But then you don't hear about them in the 90s and you've never heard about them since. But for me, it was always in music. It was 
obviously Jersey, so is Bon Jovi, mm-hmm. who grew up in Bon Jovi, and also Guns N' Roses. And they're kind of still on tour, all of them. John, maybe not. Maybe he'll be back. But Howard Stern, they're, they're going. Not only are they still going, but all these bands, they're bigger than they ever were. They're, they're still there. And they're still doing it stronger. So I don't know. There was something about him, which I think I learned a lot from Howard. I love his honesty. I love his honesty. And and I think that's a part of certainly of the rabbinate. And maybe you could argue many leaders, not just Jewish leaders, where you don't really get to see the true them. Mm-hmm. Sometimes they don't like it when certain people are too much them. Like you don't have to be so much yourself, right? Think about who you can think about. And certain people, you can just tell you're looking at them, you're listening to them, you're talking to them. And I know it's not them. Pull down the mask. I want to get to know you. I think what I learned from him, what I've what I've tried to do as a result, is just be honest. Just be yourself. Just be who you are. And that's why it's been a dream to have a, a podcast. I don't have my own podcast right now. I'm trying to figure out how to relaunch it and what it will be. Um, I have too many ideas, and I don't know how to fit it into one. So I'm not sure. It's coming. Something is coming. And I've been working on it in my head for the last two years. I just don't know. I'm kind of stuck. Well, we're here for it. We can't wait to see whatever it is and we're behind it. And I have to tell you, you know, between the, 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 the wisdom and between the, the musical inclination and the combination Mm -hmm. of the two, I love that as a marriage, I've already come up with like the name of the band. If you want to know the truth, I mean, you, 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 all right, ready? So Rabbi Josh Brody, you put the bro in Brody. All right. Like you are a guy's guy and you are the people's rabbi. And all inclusive and and you can't make that up it's not it's nothing that you study you don't take a test for that it's just who you are at your core and it really does resonate and it is no surprise that to have a partner with someone as dynamic and spectacular as your wife Simone the two of you I think Simone should be in the band also absolutely (laughs) Daisy Jones and the six okay it's going to be Josh Brody and Simone okay and the eight kids and the grandkid and so on and so (laughs) forth but um you'll be the next Jackson five times 800 There you go. Exactly. Exactly. And I tell you, I think that's also an important quality is that whatever you're doing, you got to have fun. Mm-hmm. You're not having fun doing what you're doing. You're not doing the right thing. There's a, there's a, Amen. You know, being a rabbi, you would think it's not fun. There's not a day that goes by. I'm not having a ton of fun. It's a lot of stress, but I enjoy it. I really, really enjoy it. You got to enjoy what you do. You don't, do and it might be a day I, I don't enjoy it. I'll, I'll do something else. It's fine. It's plenty of other things. Today. Amazing. Dr. Boca, you have any final thoughts? I mean, I could keep going and going, but I know exactly. how, how valuable the rabbi's time is. I want to be mindful of that. I so appreciate this. And I have so many other questions and we might just have to have you back on another <laughs> episode to launch whatever next amazing <laughs> project you come up with. It would be our honor to have you back to share it with our listeners. And really the take home for me from all of this and just having experienced you in the community is really what you just said is taking down that mask. It's that authenticity. I always say to when I was supervising trainees who were trying to become psychologists, I always said, you you know, you have to, it's all the relationship, right? It, it, that's the curative factor in everything. That's what generates the, the connection. That's what generates the passion. That's what generates the trust in people. I can teach you a technique, but if you can't facilitate that uh, relationship and they can't trust you and you show your vulnerable self, 
you got nothing here. And so I think that that's the takeaway from all of this is nobody wants a a standoffish, inauthentic, staunchy, rule-imparting elder telling us because it's not relatable. It may be relatable for old-school individuals, but what is so amazing about what you've done is you've taken that and spun it on its head and figured out ways that by just being authentic and honest and out of the box, you can find, everybody can find a way to gravitate towards Judaism in a very meaningful way. And it doesn't take a lot. It doesn't take a lot of time. What it does is it we have to ignite the, the passion points within people. And that's what you do so well. So I thank you. And I thank you for our entire community because you really have brought a light to our community, you and Simone. I appreciate that. I love that. And, you know, it, it's okay also to say you don't know. You know, you get a lot of problems, a lot of questions, especially now with everything going on in the world, people are looking for answers. And many times there aren't good answers. It's better to say, I don't know, rather than give someone something which isn't good or something, something which isn't true, or it's, it just doesn't feel right. Mm-hmm. Everyone, like you said, it's, you can't let our egos get in the way. Absolutely. My God, I feel like this was very polished. <laughs> I asked the unpolishedness. I and, asked the uh, most no, unpolished. but sometimes, sometimes we need to clean up a little bit around here. And I think that we did just that today. I am going to link everything in terms of your pedigree and how we can find you, Rabbi, on the bottom of our episode notes. So if people want to reach out and find you at the synagogue, and don't think for a second that I'm not going to dig around and figure Probably. out how we can link up the Jewish pride radio totally um, i wrote it down <laughs> too <laughs> some of those vintage dig, episodes dig it up from the archives yeah uh-huh. he's gonna uh, you're gonna be hiding in the community after we oh, no. launch the well, we gotta want we gotta make it a little unpolished totally. i feel like exactly. you know we're all so buttoned up here but I, I have to tell you on behalf of dr boca and myself rabbi i am so unbelievably humbled and grateful that you took uh, time out of your busy thank busy, you for making it busy thank day. you for absolutely and you know again we always say a friend Uh, The show is a friend forever, and we feel honored to be your friend, too. So we are keeping tabs on you, and we know the the best is yet, Y-E-T, yet, yet to come. Um, Continue being you. Please send our love to beautiful Simone, and I hope you'll come back and join us if time permits down the road. And and I'm coming over for Passover, by the way. I'm not coming over for Passover, but I want to come to the first band uh, concert. <laughs> I want front row, and I want to be one of those groupies. So Josh Brody and the Bros. Josh Brody and the Bros. And we will do a Unpolished Therapy episode live from the orchestra the pit. Right? <laughs> There you go. All right, Rabbi, thank you so much to the listeners out there. You know how to reach us. You can find us on Instagram and Facebook at Unpolished Therapy. If you want to send an email, of course, you can email us at unpolishedtherapy at gmail.com. We will link all of Rabbi Josh Brody's links, his social media pages, and how you can contact him directly should you be inclined. And from all of us here on the corner of audacity and advice, I thank you for joining us on Unpolished Therapy. My wheels got spun upside down. I hope your wheels did as well. And we'll see you next week on Unpolished Therapy. Great sesh, girls. Hey, everyone, like what you heard? Then don't miss out on what comes next. Subscribe now and please give the girls a five-star rating. Learn more at www.unpolishedtherapy.com. 
Find and like them on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. We'll see you next week when Rachel Silvercone and Dr. Boca ditch the couch, grab the mic, and break down all the wreckage. <laughs>